This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Have you lost faith in public servants? Dig this. I'm Marguerite, and I want you to move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. You'll like it. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma.com. This is the Move to Tacoma podcast, and we're here today with Dennis Hamburg from Pierce County. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you. Full disclosure, to me, you are Mr. Hamburg, my friend Eric Hamburg's dad. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> so there is. And, the, and I go by either Mr. Hamburg or Dennis. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to call you Dennis today, okay. but it's very weird. All right. So, Dennis, when did you move to Tacoma and why? Um, I moved to Tacoma. My wife and I moved to Tacoma in 1979, uh, and that was to take a job with um, a local land use consulting firm. Okay, so you were. Um, what what is a land use consulting firm? Uh, basically, we did. Uh, it was an engineering firm. We did land planning, surveying, and uh, engineering for, for like development projects. Yeah. So um, I came from the. I was kind of an oddity. I came from the the um, Clallam County Health Department. I was a sanitarian. I did inspections. I did uh, drain field designs, water designs, and that part really interested me, and we needed um, some of those kind of services on the private sector. So Mm -hmm. I went from the public sector to the private sector and started working in a consulting firm, ended up being a part owner in the firm, and spent 30 years uh, doing uh, land use planning and uh, representation of projects uh, through the um, entitlement and development process. So a love of drain field design. Yeah, love of drain <laughs> brought you into, and a dislike of restaurant inspections. So, in '79, I'm trying to think when you moved up here. Uh, wasn't everything really terrible? Like there wasn't a lot of development going on. Wasn't there some kind of housing crash, or was that right before the housing crash? Or like the uh, actually, we we're right in the middle of a of a huge increase in interest rates, where they were going up yeah. about every week. Um, I think we slipped in at ten and a quarter percent on our house, <laughs> <laughs> and I think they topped out in the high teens yeah. in nineteen eighty or eighty one. So it was a bit of a challenge. I came on and into a firm of sixty employees, and about two months later, we were twenty employees. Uh-huh. And um, when we bought the company, we were at 12 employees in 1981. So it was uh, quite a recession from that standpoint. And what neighborhood did you move to when you moved to Tacoma? When we moved to Tacoma, we actually moved to uh, University Place or unincorporated Pierce County. University Place was not a city at that time. And uh, so we were out there. And then we moved into Tacoma in uh, 1987 and uh, spent uh, almost 27 years as city residents in West Tacoma. And what did you love about West Tacoma? Uh, it was close to everything. It was great. It was uh, nice. We were um, uh, just off of Jackson and between 12th and 19th, so we had great access to downtown, great access to uh, to uh, Gig Harbor and mm-hmm. uh, and the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was close. We liked that. And where do you live now? And uh, about five years ago, we moved uh, just across the bridge to, um, uh, to Gig Harbor, uh, into a single-level house mm-hmm. and uh, something that, that just worked out well for our needs at this time. Mm-hmm. So you left us, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're Greater Tacoma. It's fine. Greater Tacoma. There greater you Tacoma. Go. You're in Gig Harbor. You're still in the county at least. Absolutely. So help me understand what it is that you do at the county. Because, like, I remember when you were the head of planning 
and land services. Right. And you won, like, awards for the way that you yes, kind of whipped that department into shape. So, so, so can you talk about, like, why you left the private sector to go to the county and kind of what your path has been there and what you do now? The um, – I'd like to I, – I, I kind of say that uh, it feels like I spent the first 30 years, um, you know, learning how to do a good job as a public servant But because basically mm-hmm. I've been able to take all of those skill sets, all of the business practices. And um, the county was in some challenging uh, times where basically permitting was uh, taking a long time. What um, year was this? This was in 2010. And uh, frustration from the industry, whether they be the the realtors, the developers, the builders, um, uh, to develop a piece of property was taking upwards of four years to get approvals. Uh, building permits were, uh, you know, you know, several uh, months on time. And so um, the previous exec, Pat, uh, Pat uh, McCarthy, uh, wanted to create what she called the best permitting agency in the state. Ooh. And um, uh, be- because of my private sector experience, I've worked in a lot of different jurisdictions around the state, probably 35 or 40 different cities and towns. So you you get to know different processes and what you like in one or don't like in another. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was asked to co-chair a uh, group of, um, of county staff with the public works department and the planning department and figure out how to make it better. And uh, what we found was is that there were processes. We kind of call them inboxes. Like um, when I started in 1979 and we'd do projects back then, the consultant would typically work with three county persons. They'd work with a land planner, an engineer, and maybe a biologist or someone involving Mm -hmm. with some of the environmental issues. And what we found in 2010 is is that – those three inboxes had grown into 18 different inboxes, oh um, all of them having an opinion, all of them and even countering with each other. Uh, we found cases where we had three inspectors um, on a site from different, uh, you know, one from sewer, one from roads, and one from some other place actually contradicting each other on the site. So mm. the idea was look at ways that we could um, eliminate some of those inboxes and basically um, improve our permit efficiencies at the same time. So we got done with that study, and I was um, uh, pleased to be uh, then put on staff as a full-time person as the assistant director and then eventually the director of planning land services. And yes, through technology, um, efficiencies, code changes, um, uh, just a change in culture to look Mm -hmm. at customer service better, we've basically been able to turn around into what I consider the best permitting agency in the state. And like there's some... Back up. There's some validation for that. Like the business, like the like the 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 builders and and people are happy with you. Happier. I mean, they're never happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> the I think the industry is very happy. The industry has supported every one of our budgets. They've mm. supported every fee increase mm. um, because what they were looking for was uh, some fundamental. Um, um, pieces of this uh, effort was timely and reliable decisions, uh, using good judgment, um, changes to code that made sense and helped uh, uh, the process move along faster. And we've done that. And we continue to do that. So just as an aside, like I think people like to complain about government and processes in particular. They're confusing, right? Like we don't understand why things right. are done the way that they're done. And as somebody who came from the business community and, you know, is, is then was administering within the government system. What do you think, I mean, where where are people right that it's just a bunch of crap? And where are people, like, maybe not seeing how to actually, like, make things work better? Do you understand what I'm asking? Like, how can, I mean, how can we have a little bit more empathy when we're interacting with government? And how can we support, like, good government and, like, efficiency in government without being, like... 
like throwing up our hands? Hmm. Good, good question. I, I, I mean, those know. are human beings in there. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll turn it just a little bit. When I started, um, you know, of course, I had a lot of contacts with the industry, and their frustrations were to the point of saying, like, well, who are you going to fire first? And, uh, you know, give me the list of who you're going to do. Like they and, had their hit list. <laughs> yeah, because they had such frustration. And the frustration, I think, came out of the standpoint of is, is that staff was, uh, you know, was, you know, harried, you know, and busy. And, um, and again, customers service-wise, uh, they speak their own language sometimes. Yeah. They speak in a lot of acronyms. Uh, they they get asked the same question over and over and over again. And so they forget that it to the person asking the question might be the first time they've ever heard the information. Mm-hmm. Um, but to them, they've heard it eight times already. So they get a little bit uh, short unintentionally. Um, yeah. What I found clearly was just like um, um, our own um, my own engineering firm, 95% of the staff were all they were doing was looking for some direction. They just yeah. wanted a feeling for what they could do. And uh, it was interesting when I started the development center where the permit center where people come to get them get permits, uh, the average wait time was two and a half hours, and that's frustrating for people. Wow. Um, and uh, what we did was we turned that around and we reduced the time. We provided more of a customer service friendly, you know, what can I do to help you, you know, just different questions like that. The energy changed to the point where they got vibrations back from the, the uh, people asking the questions, and that made them more excited about giving them additional information. Yeah, so by yeah. doing that, it did create two humans making true contact and trying to understand, you know, what they could, how they could resolve a problem together. And so from a governmental standpoint, I think that there is frustration uh, when you have too much regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also frustration when you don't have enough. So you mm-hmm. got to look for that balance. Um, and I think that's what we've been trying to um, attempt. We reduced, I think, upwards of 400 to 500 pages of code. There's wow. always more that comes from the state level, from the federal level that, you know, there's mandates, but it then determines how do you implement that regulation? You mm-hmm. know, how many people do you have come to a site? Um, how can I make it as efficient as possible? And how can I meet the timelines of what our, our customers want? We've done it through improving our technology. Um, you can do almost anything online now. You can submit online. You can ask a question online and get an answer within 24 hours. Wow. You can um, check up on all of your permitting so that you can follow along as the permit is processed. To see is it what... true that you're doing re-inspections with, like, video Yes. Chat? We oh. do Skype. That's ins- so cool. We do Skype inspections. Yeah, so that's, a, that's pretty That's pretty rad. It's pretty impressive. I, yeah. I did it on my own house for a new uh, hot water he- heater, and it was really impressive that they could do that and that kind of technology uh, definitely has reduced our time in drive times like up to Crystal Mountain or out mm. to Anderson Island. And I uh, imagine it saves money. It saves money, yep. In fact, we're actually looking at uh, maybe changing our fees and provide an incentive for the fa- standpoint of if, if you do it by Skype, we could maybe reduce your fee uh, or inspection fee. Right, right. So you you worked with Plenty and Land Services, and then in the most recent changeover of execs, you took on another department. Yes. So what 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 does that involve, and how has your role shifted at the county? The and hopefully people are patient with this conversation because we're we're going somewhere with this. <laughs> we're, we're we're just providing the context for a converse a much bigger conversation. Um, under the um, 
under uh, ex- Executive Bruce Dammeyer, he made another change. He's very um, emphatic on consolidation and looking for ways to improve efficiencies and effectiveness and says, you've done a great job with planning and land services. Let's take a look at consolidating planning and land services and public works. Uh, planning and land services is about 100 employees. Public works is about 650 employees. So they were consolidated together. You're and, the boss of 750 people, Dennis? Uh, yes. That is crazy. I try not to think about it. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But basically we are – so and and there's a lot of relationships and and overlap between those um, because, again, when you're that large of a a service agency, you've got planners in your – you know, they're planning sewer infrastructure, road infrastructure, Mm -hmm. storm infrastructure, and those guys all need to talk with each other. And while those two departments have existed forever and a day – Consolidating them provided opportunity for that um, efficiencies and effectiveness that have occurred in planning and land services to kind of be the model to say, let's take a look at overlaying that onto the rest of the uh, the um, department. Are they even in the same building? They are not actually the and and so we are now called uh, the Planning and Public Works Department. Uh-huh. So I'm director of the Planning and Public Works Department. And is there an interest in consolidating that and getting people in the same and would that would that aid that to have everybody together or do you think it, it doesn't really I, matter? Uh, I think to a degree it would. I mean, basically we have facilities uh, like our, for instance, our uh, operation facilities. Uh, we've got um, you know ops out on uh, in Purdy mm. and out on South Hill and out on the Bonnie Lake Plateau. Those are making the most sense for where they're located. And uh, those are primarily persons uh, providing maintenance and operations to the, you know, the sewer systems, the signals, the intersections, roads, and so on. Um, But a lot of our engineering and our our central um, uh, admin for those different departments would be nice to be in one building. Currently, we've got uh, people located out um, at the Environmental Services Building out at Chambers Bay by the treatment plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have uh, two office buildings, the Tacoma Mall Office Building and uh, the Tacoma Mall Plaza, two of them located over by the mall. And then, of course, the Pierce County Annex um, at uh, 35th and Pine. So, And then the, there's the administration offices in downtown Tacoma. Uh, and then that is really all the county exec oh. and the county council and prosecuting So this is just – these buildings are all just your department. Right. That's unbelievable. Right. That's unbelievable. Okay. So I'm calling our new area Pine Central as we have, <laughs> as we have three offices very close within a mile of each other at, um, at uh, 35th and Pine or 38th and Pine. So I think now we kind of have an idea of what it is that you do. Right. Sort of. Yes. And now let's talk about like, okay, what does this mean to us as Tacomans, right? Or maybe people who are Tacoma adjacent, like Pierce County and how it relates to the city. Like what do you think people don't understand about that? Well, we've had, uh, from a planning standpoint or, you know, developing our city uh, or, let's say, city of Tacoma, other cities and the county, um, you know, we've got needs that we need to take care of and need to work together to uh, to grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the planning documents that started 20 years ago with um, uh, with GMA, which, growth, you know, our Growth Management Act, uh, was a creation of comprehensive plans. Each of the cities develops a plan. Uh, the area, you know, uh, develops a plan plan that these, you know, fit in underneath. And basically how that works is, so they say, okay, like maybe in the 90s or something, somebody was like, okay, we're going to get 100,000 people over the next, in the county, I don't know what the number actually was, but like over the next 20 years. So like, let's decide who's going to 
where we're going to put everybody and which cities have to accommodate how much growth. And, like, the cities can decide where they put those people, but you have to take those people, yes. basically. Like, this is what we're – is that what the GMA was supposed to be? Yes, and it did that. And So I don't... we put sewers down 20th and Spanaway. Like, we did things to and... make room for people to – Fill in the county, right? Yes. And if you think, you know, if you dial back to the early 90s, um, you know, growth was really, you know, personally was sprawling. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was, you could, and most of the county was zoned general, meaning you could do anything, anywhere, any place. And, and that needed to stop. It really should have stopped 30 or 40 years before that. Um, unfortunately, it took until the 90s to do that. And what's, how do we, how do we see the, the consequences of that? What's an example of the sprawl? The example of the sprawl is it's harder to, you know, to provide transportation. It's harder to extend sewers uh, and infrastructure after that's built. And if you think about it. Because everybody's on septics yep. and, and three-acre lots or whatever. You have, you know, close in uh, to, like, for instance, even to PLU, which was a fairly dense area. The Parkland area has been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But just outside of that, we had places called Spanaway Ranchettes, you know, mm-hmm. two-and-a-half-acre tracks with a house built in the middle of each of those ranchettes. Very hard when infrastructure does get out there that you can um, that you can then develop it to some sort of a higher density. Well, and, I mean, I grew up in Spanaway, and I'm thinking about, I mean, my, I grew up on basically like a two-acre one house on septic kind of situation. And, you know, my parents were like, that's what they wanted. They didn't want to see their neighbor. They don't want to hook into sewer. They want to have their own thing. Like, they think they're on the frontier out there. (laughs) Now they're surrounded by a lot of high density or higher density single family residential. And a lot of traffic. Um, And, yes, traffic and congestion has come to that area. So um, as we're reevaluating and looking how to modify the the GMA or how to like look at the next 25 years or how, how do they do that? Well, um, basically we had a huge chain or update to our comprehensive plan, not just us, but all the cities and towns as well, is that they had, we had a deadline of 2015. It was a 20 year update. And mm-hmm. so again, that was an important part because you were really taking your entire plan, relooking at it, uh, um, evaluating the policies that make the plan, adding policies, um, and then moving forward from there. So we approved, got the plan approved. And, and the county is an unusual um, animal in this whole thing. And the reason for that, and that's what I think I, I think people have to understand, is that um, in, in the 90s, in the early 90s, when, this, when GMA came about, and a lot of cities were formed. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, University Place, Lakewood, Edgewood, um, Edgewood uh, uh, Federal Way, uh, Burien, I believe, quite a few cities were formed. Out, um, you know, Vashon, mm-hmm. uh, Bainbridge, they they formed for a different reason. They were trying to have more control over their growth. And really, the purpose of GMA was to say, rural, counties should be rural and cities should be urban. So it was really that focus that that's where your urban line should be grown. I'm imagining places like, for example, like Edgewood, who said, okay, well, we're going to become a city so we can take control of our lifestyle. And now it's like, oh, great, now you're urban, so you have to build a bunch of stuff. That's right. And, and that's, How and did that's, they receive that? <laughs> well, I think they were kind of surprised. I think I think Winslow was a little surprised, or uh, uh, excuse me, Bainbridge was surprised because they had the city of Winslow, but they said, well, listen, let's do the, incorporate the entire island to mm. control our destiny. They probably would have been better to let Winslow be the dense area on the island and leave the rest of it rural. So, Interesting. And I haven't paid much attention to what they've been, you know, how they've actually developed after that. 
Um, from our standpoint, we ended up with a little bit of an anomaly. And um, as, as we're supposed to be a rural county, we had this huge urban growth area that was unincorporated. And that area... Spanaway, um, Fredrickson. Uh, yeah, South Hill. Um, you know, kind of that whole area up there. It really, if you... You know, I kind of like to call it, you know, or look at it as a box. If you think about, um, uh, you know, highway, State Highway 512 on the north side mm-hmm. and you've got Pacific to the west and Meridian to the east. Mm-hmm. And then our border, our outside line is 208th Street. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge uh, box with, um, you know, this big circle of, um, of arterials around it. Yep. And um, that area tried to incorporate. And it actually Gateway. tried. Gateway and Fredrickson um, were two attempts. And I, there might have been one on South Hill also. Uh, but those, unfortunately, when all those other ones um, uh, did get passed, this one did not. And so we ended up with this area saying, no, we prefer to stay unincorporated, but they're urban in nature. So what I've been trying to preach um, over the last year and a half is, is that the county has to wear two hats. We have to be rural and, re- and recognize you know, the, the rural needs of the county because a huge portion of our of our county is rural, but we also we go all the way to the mountain, right? We go all the way to the mountain. We go down to the Nisqually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, we have the Key Peninsula and um, a few islands thrown in there. So it's a <laughs> it's a fairly large rural area. But we also have this urban area, and we have to recognize. And our code has to be set that we have a rural code standards for improvements, and we have an urban standards for improvement. Because the goal would be that sometime that area that really. Uh, kisses up against Tacoma and also Puyallup. Those would be the two major areas, a little bit to Lakewood. Those two areas um, need to be designed to urban levels and hopefully would be incorporated into those cities um, or annexed into the existing cities or create their own incorporation. So you're saying the county would actually want to give up territory to cities? Absolutely. That surprises me. Well, that's our goal. You know, that's what we should be doing is is providing that opportunity for them to um, to to annex into a city because the ultimate goal would be that um, county stuff is rural. Yep. If you look at it's interesting because if you look to the north at King County, um, uh, they they say they're two annexations away from being rural. And if you look at it, the actual King County area, you know, the Carnation, the area out around Snoqualmie. In fact, they moved their permitting agent offices out of um, Renton and moved them out into Snoqualmie Ridge. Because everybody be- was coming from there. Because that's where, <laughs> yeah, up and down that, uh, that east side of the county. Hmm. So when you look at the next, you know, the plan that they made in 2015, like what were the changes? Right. Like what's different? Were there new trends that they were wanting to like, well, I, acknowledge? Uh, or? I think there was some new trends to some additional policy changes or uh, policies created for, you know, around climate change and, um, you know, recognizing some. Uh, and actually, the other one I would say that uh, we recognized was that desire to have more pedestrian, um, you know, the multimodal opportunities. Uh, if you looked at our original plan, and it was a little bit of a frustration to me, it seemed like we kind of said, okay, we're going to put single family all over in one location, mm-hmm. multifamily in a different location, and commercial in another. And what it causes you to do is drive, drive. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at parts of Tacoma, you know, you can see where you, there's that walkable piece of it. I mean, even the... the um, you know, all the work along 6th Avenue, you know, it's very nice that, you know, in a several blocks on either side, you can walk, um, you know, for to a couple of restaurants or, or get some, you know, some groceries. Well, and I grew up in South Hill and Spanaway, 
So I that that's how I grew up. It's like, you know, when you're you have all your families, basically, or people right. living in single family homes in one place, then you have the apartment dwellers over in another zone. And so it's like almost like a stage of life. Like you move out of your parents house, you move into one of the apartment complexes, right. everybody's driving to everything. Like I remember growing up, it was like 20 minutes to go anywhere because we were off to 24th. So it was like just to get to the freeway was a 20 minute commitment. Right. And like the whole lifestyle around that and like commuting and like it's not very efficient. That said, like what is the will out there? I mean, I'm not I'm not as plugged into that life as I used to be. <laughs> I've been in Tacoma for a while. Like what do they think about retail on the bottom and apartments above and density? Like we get plenty of backlash to it here in Tacoma and we're like an actual city. Like what about all these people that grew up thinking we're in a rural place and now Adding density to that, what is, are they receptive? Are they not receptive? They, um, I'd say it's kind of a mixed bag, and maybe uh, maybe pushes the fifty fifty. I think the biggest concern is really the the tra- uh, congestion that comes with it. Mm. Um, when I look at it, I think about it from the, a couple of different standpoints. Um, you know, number one is new people that come in and, for development, and this is a good thing. Is almost any developer comes in, they first one of the first questions is uh, what where, what do we have for transit? Mm. And I can tell you that for all the years that I was on the um, private sector side doing development, nobody ever asked that question. There was, you know, so there's been a huge shift to to looking at transit as opportunities. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of tra- transit in infrastructure in place yet. So we don't have a lot um, of transit leadership at the county level either. But I'll just leave that aside for for another topic. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking to Christina Walker next. <laughs> um, so that's one example. The other part was is that a lot of that area was developed, and there is a demand and a need for. Or, um, you know, what you would call, a, you know, a residential single family detached. If you look at Tacoma, you know, a lot of that area is developed the same way. Uh, basically 5,000 square foot lots, you know, typically 50 feet wide, 100 mm-hmm. foot deep. Um, you know, that's your opportunity for the house and the picket fence and maybe a small um, a small yard and then a park down the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have a lot of that area um, in the county uh, or in our unincorporated urban growth area. Mm-hmm. But we also have the apartments, not as many as you'd think. And uh, and what I see is, is that um, uh, we're trying to make some changes to say, instead of just doing that across the entire width and, and scale of our um, urban growth area, let's concentrate it into centers mm-hmm. um, and let's concentrate it along corridors. And so really what we want to do, and if you've, uh, you've lived out there for a long time or know that area, um, drive down Pacific and tell me what's changed since you were a kid and drove down Pacific. And I think you'll find it hasn't changed. I was going to say, I, I, it's, <laughs> it's like a time capsule. Yes. It's a little depressing. It, it is. It's, it's sad because, um, you know, here you've got a wonderful corridor, um, that being Pacific, and those properties are vacant. Uh, there's empty parking lots. There's uh, And all the infrastructure is there for yeah. that particular one. And that's even a mm. wide road. You could theoretically even put like a light rail or something down the middle. <clears throat> well, that, that's been talked about. Really? You know? <laughs> a Pacific Avenue light rail? You just blew my mind. Um, what they have, <laughs> what they are doing right now is they're making it a high, uh, or high occupancy. I, I believe they're going to run um, a, a rapid bus system down there. So basically um, that wouldn't stop at every stops and, mm-hmm. and so on. What we've looked at is said, 
Um, we have then we have wonderful communities along there. There's the Garfield District there, mm-hmm. right outside of uh, Pacific Lutheran. Yep. Uh, Sprinker is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got you know the athletic facilities and uh, and ice exercise and so rink. on. There you go, your own ice skating rink. <laughs> and I've tried to I've tried to visualize and, and get staff to visualize. Well, what would that area have looked like if it was um, outside of Washington D.C. and you were going to have subway stops? Well, when you come up out of the ground at Garfield, think of what that area would have looked like, yeah. or think of what it would have looked at at uh, Sprinker and so on. So we've identified that we have centers along that corridor and um, we want to change the zoning on that area because um, what was done 20 years ago was to say, well, kind of along that line of that's commercial. We so, need to put commercial zones. And so we created all of these zones and and uh, there was like NC, AC, they each had them like, you know, activity center, neighborhood commercial. There was MUD, M- I mean, there was so many initials and acronyms, you can't believe it. Um, each one of them being a little bit different from the other. And so one example that was frustrating and brought to our attention was is that these zones were so many of them, almost all of them commercial, that in one zone you could sell a boat, so for boats, commercial boat sales, but you couldn't repair the boat in the same zone. Now, how many places have, you know, the yeah. need to do both? You need to be able to service a boat and, and yeah. take care of that. So what we've done is in our new system is we've proposed a uh, this on this corridor a quarter mile on either side, which is identified as kind of the maximum walking distance. Okay. Um, if you so, if you, again, if you think about Sixth Avenue and you just think about several blocks on either side, that's just a no-brainer to walk down to Sixth. Um, so in that area, we would you know, we figured a quarter mile on either side, and that we would do very similar to what cities have done and increase our density on that corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, what we've done and, and taking kind of a lesson out of uh, Tacoma as, as others is said, let's go unlimited density and let's put a 65-foot ceiling on the height, um, wow. and uh, which would be similar to what's happening in the Proctor, Proctor. District. Um, and also Garfield North, we do have a project there now that's five stories. It, mm-hmm. has, um, um, great. it has retail on the bottom and, um, and apartments on top of that. My eyes just got so big. Like, I just started thinking about what Pacific Avenue would look like with, like, retail and, you know, residential right. above. And, like, it would be, like, a very different place. It would. And to have the transit there to do that would be just wonderful. One of the things we did is, and the question was, is if I wanted to build um, a multifamily um, site, you know, on the, maybe the property across from the golf course, from uh, Sprinker Golf Course, mm-hmm. you know, uh, granted, some people would say, well, that's, it's noisy and there's too much business and, you know, and, and others. I'm sorry, would, Pacific Avenue is not a quiet place. Well, that's, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't think anyone could credibly complain about noise on Pacific right. Avenue. But, you know, so some people say, well, nobody would want to use or put multifamily there. And my argument is if if the Look market is there, and, and let the private sector decide that. If mm. they feel that they can make that work and they can do the, the in and out traffic, mm-hmm. you know, onto the street safely, let them put that there. And then next door to it, put a commercial, um, you know, a piece and, you know, and, and work on from there. So it's really taking in, taking those upwards of well actually upwards of 15 or 20 zones and we've got we'll have five when we're done mm-hmm. and and through that corridor it will be pretty much uh, the ability to do commercial or residential um, at a high density not low density residential right. but at a high density um, there's wonderful opportunities there along the Pacific corridor 
uh, to redo some of those parking lots. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's already impervious, but turn it into something better. Um, we're looking at doing that on the Meridian Corridor. That one's actually got more multi out there than you than you realize already. But there are some things we can do there to kind of create, um, you know, an urban village. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got a nice um, uh, urban village out in the one – it's um, – and the one sixtieth area, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sunrise, uh, Sunrise Village, mm -hmm. and uh, so we want to kind of emphasize those and uh, look at. And, and I want to go back. The other thing is, you mentioned the number of people that we have to plan for. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, what is that number? Well, uh, right now, the unincorporated area, we have to plan for sixty thousand more people by twenty thirty. In the unincorporated, unincorporated area. Now, no, twenty thirty soon. I know. And, and it actually – some of those have already arrived because I think it goes back a few years. I think okay. it's 2010 to 2030. Um, but also during that same period of time, the cities in the county need to plan for 150,000 people. So yeah. When so, Hunter George was in here last week, he was saying they have to plan for I think 4,000 more people in, in Fircrest or something. And there's like 6,000 people in Fircrest now. Like right. that's an insane amount of growth. Well, and that's when you think about it, the city of Tacoma has to plan for 79,000 people. So when you think 79,000 people, that's at two people a, person, a house, that's 40,000 Now, know, is residences. that new people coming to the area or is that like the babies that we made and stuff too? Um, it's probably a combination of <laughs> Okay, both. good. Just making sure. I'm yeah. like, because, you know, people are still having babies, Mr. Hamburg. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a combination of both. But, okay. you know, these all come out of the, uh, the state, you know, uh, Office of Financial Management. And uh, so they've identified that as, as estimated targets. And I don't think – and they usually they provide a low, medium, and a high range. You know, so it can mm -hmm. be a lower estimate. I think we've been using the medium range for, you know, for the estimating. Do you think we're ready? Um, no, I don't think so. I what think, do you think are the obstacles to us being ready? Um, Is it I, like a, a, a lack of understanding from the public, a lack of leadership? Like, what do you think? I think it's a lack of understanding as to, you know, I, I think the planning pieces have been put in place. For instance, mm -hmm. the city of Tacoma has, uh, I believe, last count was like 17 mixed-use centers or, you know, they've identified those areas. You know, That's where we're going to grow. Yep. Proctors is, is – or the Proctor District is one of those that you're seeing that and you saw the resistance to the first building. Um, Lincoln, and if you think about Hilltop, South Tacoma. You know, yeah, there's uh, – White uh, Ruston. You know, um, uh, yep. You're hitting them all. And um, and there's more even further to the south. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lincoln District, I think, is going to be the next one that uh, would be, you know, is poised to do well. Bye, um, bye, bye. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, people have to get used to the, you know, that suddenly we're going to be more vertical and going up. You know, there's uh, there's plans for. Like we're a city? Like we're a city, like a higher density city. So things are going to change. Yes, what can people do to feel empowered about the change happening in their communities and not disempowered? And I'm thinking of two examples that come right to my mind, and these are both city examples. But since you used to live in the city, maybe you'd be willing to take a crack at them. But we had the situation with Proctor where, you know, that, that change was made for, to allow for more density. And then, you know, when the market recovered and they finally started doing that, like all the residents were like, what the hell? Like they freaked out. They didn't want it or not all the residents, but many very loud vocal residents did not want their neighborhood to change in that way, even though it has to if we're going to put 79,000 people somewhere. Right. And then on the other hand, you have Hilltop, which is a neighborhood um, where the community has not 
that the, the, hum, the historic people who've lived in that neighborhood are not going to benefit from the density. It's not looking like they're going to benefit from the density and the changes and the investment that's coming to that neighborhood. They'll be displaced to somewhere else, parts unknown, right? So, like, when I, I philosophically believe, like, get good with change because it's the only thing that we have and we're going to grow and we're going to get denser and you're going to have smaller spaces to live in. And that's just the nature of, you know, if y'all are going to keep making babies, we got to make room for each other. And and you see the reaction, that sort of not in my backyard reaction from Proctor. And then the other side of that, which is the please don't displace us, you know, from Hilltop. Like, how do we do this in a way that's responsible and like honors the people that came before, but also makes room for the people that come next? Well, I, that's a small I'm question. Not, that's, a, that's a lengthy question, multiple <laughs> questions. <laughs> it's a lot of questions. I think that um, there's always going to be some displacement. I, I think that no matter what you do, and I don't, I'm not sure what you're visualizing for a hilltop, but um, if you think about it, if you look about the, the discussion we just had on the Pacific Corridor, and then you take um, you know, MLK, Martin Luther King Way, there's already been you know a lot of multifamily that's been built along MLK. But that doesn't mean that it's going to go that much deeper into the hilltop. Yes people that had houses on MLK have been displaced, but... I guess what I'm thinking of more is, is it's more of an income thing. So, you know, okay. in 2010, you could buy a house on the hilltop that was financeable, FHA, right. for $150,000, maybe even a little less. Okay. That same house today is probably going over 300000 So let's say a person bought that house for one hundred and fifty and rented it out to somebody who grew up in the neighborhood for $1,100 a month. Well, now they can double their money, and so they're going to sell it to somebody who's going to have a $2,300, $2,400 a month house payment, right? Right. So that's a different person. So where is that $1,100 a month person going to go? Because they can't afford to rent, even if they switch from a house, let's say they're just still a single person, but they haven't. They had a house that big. They filled it with babies. Like, you know, let's say they, they can't move into one of the new multifamily apartments on MLK because now a one-bedroom apartment on MLK is going to cost close to $1,200 right. at least. In fact, they're, they're throwing out bigger numbers than that. So that's what I mean by displacement. Gotcha. And that's really getting into affordable housing. And affordable housing is a challenge that's been around for 20 or 30 years, you know, because unfortunately, where do you go if you can't afford the housing, you know, and and unfortunately, the model seems to be that you move further out. Yeah. And then well, which is your purview. Well, my frustration <laughs> with that is, is you move further out, but then that means you have transit problems yeah. and, you know, because then you've got to have a car. You can't, you know, the, you know, the bus doesn't work. You're further from your job. It's a, it's a real disadvantage and you've got to look for ways to provide opportunities for low-income housing. So back to empowering the citizenry. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> if I'm a Proctor resident or I'm a Hilltop resident and I want to, you know, grow my understanding of policy and impact the way that my community grows and changes as we accommodate all these people. Like, where should I be pointing my brain cells? I think you'd have to point your brain cells back to the um, planning uh, sections, and you'd be looking for times that they're either updating their comprehensive plan or a particular project. How does a person um, even find out about that? It's so wonky, Dennis. Like, it's, it's really confusing, and it's boring. It is. <laughs> I mean, you make it fascinating. I'm sure we still have thousands of people listening to this conversation. You make it fascinating. But like planning is it, it, it is such a huge impact on our lives, but it's so complicated and it's a little confusing. It, I think the, the the best thing I could tell you right now is the websites are getting better and easier mm -hmm. to use. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I, I was on our website uh, today and realized that I can look up any project being built 
by public works right now and understand where it's at, what's going on, when it's estimated to be constructed, and even a set of the plans as to what they're going to build. And that's pretty impressive. Could we do that with um, the private sector as well? Uh, do what with the private sector? Make it so if I see a crane going up somewhere, I can like just write down the lot address or maybe there's a number on a sign and I can see who's building it, how much they're putting into it, when it'll be done. You can in Pierce County, unincorporated oh. Pierce County. You can check any property and find out what permits are on that. You can find out if there's any alerts on it. Mm. You can find out um, uh, who, who the owner is, of course, uh, what the building plans are. Uh, you can pretty much look and you can look at all of the documents and land use decisions that were made on that property. Where does someone go to get that information? You would go to you can uh, you know go to our Pierce County home site or you can go to Planning and Land Services and it will take you to um, a opening page that provides you opportunities to you know ask questions or to search permits. Okay. Back to the um, the you know how would people get involved with a planning standpoint? You, you know you've you've got to look at either. Community meetings or um, really I think the idea would be to look at the comprehensive plans and try to get onto a list uh, where you get notifications. Um, I don't know if we're set up yet to do that. That's the direction we're headed. We've mm -hmm. created a huge um, notification list for these uh, community plans we're working on right now, these corridors and connectors out in uh, South Hill and Fredrickson. And once you can get on one of those lists, then you, you know, suddenly – the information comes to you yeah, yeah. rather than you having to keep going out and researching it. Because it is complicated. I do agree. It's, um, it's, it's hard like, to fall through that. It's everything, too. So, like, clearly, like, in your time at the county, mm -hmm. you've had a lot of successes. You keep getting promoted. You're the <laughs> boss man of a million people. But, like, how do you – I mean, is it an interest or, or of the department or of you, you personally to figure out a way to help us – as muggles, like, understand how all this works and how to impact it. I mean, do you even want us paying close attention to it? Absolutely. So I, how, like, what is the what is the, what is is the the hitch in the communication strategy on that? Or is there a hitch? Am I just, like, creating a problem that doesn't exist? No, I think it's one that we should always be aware of. I mean, yeah. uh, basically, we're, and uh, our communications department for the county has actually hired more people to focus on, you know, other, on you know, social media mm -hmm. and other, you know, uh, outreach opportunities. Um, you know, we've joked about the fact that do we have to go back to put, putting them on the side of buses or, or people roller skating up and down the street has been a suggestion because... That's really not necessary um, with Facebook boosting. <laughs> well, we have, and uh, and actually, with a, we have gotten into Facebook. I mean, those are things that um, onto that, the interwebs. Yeah, that we're trying to figure <laughs> out how to best better communicate. And a good example, and uh, actually a great example, is is that when we did the comprehensive plan update, which was in 2015, so you know, two short years ago, mm -hmm. we were playing to houses with where public meetings where we had four or five people come to the meeting, and we came fully prepared with you know full staff, and and clearly we weren't getting the message. Out. I mean, it's it's difficult, and of course that was kind of a boring topic because you're dealing with policies. We this last time we just finished four open houses um, again out in South Hill and Fredericton and so on, and we averaged crowds of a hundred plus. Nice. And now again, what at was this. Different? Uh, well, first of all, we're a little bit more boots on the ground because now we're talking about particular properties yeah. and we're also talking about particularly concepts. Where the So in other words, the policies have now come down to saying, well, this is what this would look like. So it's a little more interesting topic. But um, I, I can't help but think that, um, you know, the, the social uh, media helped. Um, I think that we did some – or we did do some mailings to actual property owners, mm -hmm. which we did the first time too. But, uh, you know, huge mm -hmm. difference this time as far as people then came forward. 
So that's more helpful. So we continue to need to be looking at those options. So uh, my goal is to make it simpler to do that when you actually do have a question and you do go look at um, our homepage, that you find out that there's information there. Um, you know, I, I um, you know, my daughter, you know, she looks at properties now and then, and it's very frustrating to me to say, go look at our website. Um, and she says, yeah, I'm going to get to that. But she never quite looks at the website to realize that there there. is, oh, there's an amazing Yeah, but if your dad works at the county, you're just going to ask him. Yeah, he just has me look it up, right? Yeah. uh, (laughs) I would probably do the same thing. So what I do is I forward her the webpage because Uh, there is so much information there available that then can, uh, that can, then can get you to understand maybe a little bit more of the process and what things are being done on a particular project. So going forward... You know, as we get closer to 2030, like what if you if you have an ideal vision for how things grow and and where things go, what does that look like? And what would the nightmare scenario be? Contrast. The um, and, and again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning is is that the um, I think the urban growth area is has been established, and um, we're we've been operating under a situation where it's not going to expand. I don't see sprawl happening. I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure that the realtors and the master builders lobby hard to expand that. They have, and I think they've reached that conclusion as well. That you know, the focus of the um, the entire Puget Sound area is to say, no, we need to maintain this line mm. and hold it as long as we can. And um, I truly expected that at the 20-year plan mm-hmm. that we would be pushing the, the – because, you know, the, the urban growth area was at 208. I truly expected that we would push it out when I th- – looking they, back to where I was. That they would fight hard enough to do and that. And looking back to where I was 20 years ago. Um, but clearly there still is land within that and we need to be more resourceful and we need to look at ways that we can, we can densify that area. So that being said, you know, 20 years from now, I see that the same discussion will happen – uh, there still will be pressure, but I, I tend to think that we'll be holding the line at that, um, mm. uh, at least for another 20 years, and that what we'll then be looking at is a uh, a denser uh, Pierce County and certainly denser cities, as you've heard from you know others already. And my uh, nightmare scenario would be that that growth would occur and that we just haven't kept up with the infrastructure to support it. Mm. Um, I think. And what? And, and when you say infrastructure, you mean? I mean the three key elements, and then there's you know obviously some subs, subsets to that. Uh, sewer would be one, and actually that that will be kept up. Uh, the sewage treatment plant was just updated and actually takes us past 2030 for nice. for volume. Uh, so we, we're, we're in good we're shape rich that in way. Sewer. Yes, we are, and, <laughs> and in capacity. Uh, and that is good. Flush that, freely. Friends, <laughs> <laughs> and that will bring in uh, that that brings in opportunity for um, uh, for businesses to come in because that's really important to them. I think that um, traffic is going to be the big one. Mm. Uh, before it already I, is. Uh, before I get into that one, the storm is another one. You know, we've uh, certainly are trying to work to improve our. Um, um, our, our footprint and uh, impervious areas. That's right. We're, you know, continuing to work on eliminating that, uh, you know, using low impact development uh, techniques and so on. So that one will be important because it really ties in with growth, with both the projects themselves and then also, of course, roads. And roads is going to be the biggest challenge. And, um, you know, funding for that has gotten harder and harder over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the state level, if you look at our interstate system and um, in our area, in Pierce County, we've got uh, 512, 
which um, it's, you know, re- reaching that point of being busy all the time. Mm-hmm. It used to be it was just busy right first thing in the morning and last thing in the, at the rush hour. Uh, but now it's busy a lot of the time. And yeah. that's been a key piece of um, a freeway. And there aren't any more planned. Um, we've got roads planned for uh, Canyon Road to be extended uh, to the north, which basically drops it down over the hill and then to the future SR-167. That's an oh, important yeah. project. Yeah. And that is probably the most important um, interstate project that's going to get built in the um, – or state route project that will be, be built in the county. And, is and the Cross-Base Highway ever going to get finished? Cross-Base Highway uh, has put on – in been put on indefinite hold. It has no funding. There's no plans for it. It's it's um, that's it's very sad because we really could use that to tie us back into the interstate, um, come across the backside of um, JBLM. And it's basically like this really wide road that just like stops at Spanaway Loop Road. It's yep. very unusual. And it's going to continue to stop that way for it's not. I know it's not in the next 20 years. Mm. So um, unless Amazing. we can get more action going at the state level, that one's. Um, uh, and is that a funding issue or a lobbying it, issue or it's I believe it's a funding issue. Wow. Just no will. Yeah. Hmm. There are too many other priorities. Yeah. So uh, 167 will connect Puyallup to, um, you know, to I-5. That will be a you know a huge help down in that area. But yeah. it really doesn't help that urban growth area. Our urban growth area, just to, you know, for um, uh, another, you know, kind of little factoid, is that area that I described between Meridian and, um, and uh, Pacific and 512 and 208th. We have 170,000 people, you know, living there right now. Yeah. And we've got to add another 60,000. So, again, that the nightmare scenario is that we can't keep up or provide enough north-south corridors to get people out of that area and to 512 and to I-5 to, you know, to Tacoma, to the port of Tacoma for jobs. Um, and, uh, of course, we continue to, you know, want to be, you know, focused on economic development. What kind of things can we do uh, to improve that? Love mm-hmm. to see him happen along that Pacific corridor. Yeah. Um, you know, because, again, that, have you talked to Ricardo from the city? I guess that's really outside his purview. You have your own economic development. We have our own, but we actually partner a lot with City Tacoma and, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the entire economic, you know, community for this area. Because to us, it's, uh, you know, a success in Sumner is a success for all of us as well. So I have a question that's totally outside your jurisdiction, but I think you're a smart person. So I'm curious what you think about it. When I think about, okay, well, transportation, like we could bring all this density to the county, um, but how are we going to get people to and from jobs, especially when like 40 percent of people commute outside the county or something like that? Like what about automation and self-driving cars? So like if our freeway system was all self-driving, like if we're just getting into vehicles and we're no longer having the human issue gumming everything up, like suddenly commute distance doesn't even seem important anymore because you're just getting in the car and you're starting work the minute you get in the car. And that's assuming you still have a freaking job and that robots haven't taken them all, which is probably going to happen also. I'm freaking out right now. 2030. I'm terrified. <laughs> what do you think about that, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> you're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like what would the impact of automation be on all, all of our good intentions, like all of our growth plans? But in the end... What if we don't have jobs and we have self-driving cars anyway, so it doesn't matter about transportation? Well, let's talk about self-driving cars first. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. The, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, there's a lot of forecasts that say this is going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. And um, I'm ready, personally. I'm a terrible um, driver and I text when I drive. Like, it's um, time. Uh, well, then you, you, you... I should be in a self-driving car. Now. Yes, yes. immediately. <laughs> um, you know, we've actually, I've started hearing some stories about what do we need to do, uh, even from an infrastructure planning. You know, I mean, 
keep in mind that the pluses to that is is that the entire state, the region has a great infrastructure if the cars are more efficient and right. we've taken, you know, so suddenly you yeah. don't, the transit suddenly then takes a different, um, yeah. you know, a different twist. Um, so it does open up the opportunities for um, some of that to be solved by just providing and. Um, you know, we got to provide different cells along the road to make sure that all those uh, roads are in touch with the cars or mm-hmm. the cars in touch with the road, whichever way you want to put that. Mm-hmm. So in some ways it solves one problem, but it does open up the other discussion as to then where do you put your industry or do you need to have to worry about the industry being in all one location? Um, and that's probably one of the things I think we need to really concentrate on as a region. I'm not really convinced we're doing a good job of that. Um, you know, we have these industrial centers um, and we have these places for the jobs, but they all seem to be in Seattle. And you're going like, are we, are, are we doing the right thing? You know, we have great area in Tacoma and downtown Tacoma. I mean, I'd love to, you know, I wish I had a big corporation because I'd love to have a headquarters in Tacoma and not have that urge to say, no, I need to be downtown. Yeah. Um, and will there be a shift? Um, you know, we've been following, I was at a, a seminar where I heard about you know, the millennials, it, you know, we get a lot, lot of co- talk about the millennials. Well, they're starting to age out now. And the theory is they're starting to move back to the suburbs, you know. So you're going like, okay. I haven't seen this. But well, sure. that's – well, we're just <laughs> – they're just, just touching on this. But, you know, the question is is whether or not those that are in, the, you know, mid-30s want to have children now and want to move out of their condo and back into a more um, – a suburban area like, you know, Spanaway or Parkland. And if they did, would the jobs come with them or would if they come? my biological clock took me back to Spanaway, like I don't even know what I'd do to this. <laughs> no disrespect to Spanaway. Well, then go to Graham. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's th- that that's an interesting thought. Like, is this just all part of like a... Yeah, so the question is, is it kind of like this wave in the wave tank that, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, you know, we've had this huge surge into the cities and do does it surge back? Maybe not at the same level, you know, just well, a little less. Too. Like, you know. I've really observed, and there's been a lot written about this within real estate spaces, that like the homes that our parents have to sell, we don't like. Right. You know, that that, that, that that there's a real disconnect between – it's not necessarily the three-bedroom, two-bath or the four-bedroom, two-bath. The, the components are there, but the arrangement of the neighborhood, the lack of access to services, the oak kitchen cabinets, right? Like there's all the things that our parents like that we don't like. You know, and it, I, I've heard before that, like, people tend to love the homes that their grandparents lived in in their primes. So, of course, that means all the millennials like madman houses, right? Like, they all right. like those 50s, 60s, mid-mod, and that's, like, the trend right now. But there's very few places in our area that have this. Although Spanaway is one of them, people. What about West Tacoma? There's a lot, yeah, of, a lot of mid-century Fur houses there. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. And those places, you know, there there aren't a lot of homes for sale over there because they go really fast. Like, everybody wants those same houses. I don't see them moving you know, to the places that I grew up in South Hill and, and Sp- those, those same I, I don't see the same people moving there. But I do know like people I went to high school with in that area that stayed and that live in the neighborhoods that their parents lived in. I mean, that certainly happens. Sure. Right. Right. I think that Tacoma, you know, you know, when you talk about also having services, I think Tacoma's got a great opportunity. Uh, they have a wonderful park system. Obviously. Uh, split, you know, spread out through the entire system, fairly well balanced. Um, well funded. Uh, well funded, yes. Um, and then, of course, I, I do think that in these mixed centers, they do have those services available, but they're smaller scale. Yeah. I mean, you know, living in the stadium district and living in Belltown, uh, you know, you would think, you know, they're both urban, but there's a clear differential between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, to some, they're still saying, no, nope, I want to go to Belltown. I have, a, I have a young planner right now that lives in the stadium district, and he wants to 
move to downtown Seattle and then commute back here. And, yeah, and um, I'll say as a single person, like I think the biggest challenge there is just like our our pool of like single professionals is still a bit muddy and shallow. Like, and a lot of people move back to Seattle just for that reason, even though it sucks, even though they might like Tacoma better, right? Because we just right. don't, we haven't reached a critical mass of like hotties. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it has to do with restaurants and building height. I think it's just like a number of people. Well, I don't know, Doug. What do you think of that? Doug's laughing at me. Do you not believe me, Doug? I have great faith in you. <laughs> Thanks. You know, when we moved. Hotties, to, call me. When we, when, <laughs> I was 26 years old when we moved to Tacoma. And, uh, you know, growing up in the Puget Sound area, I never thought that I would ever live in Tacoma. I mean, we lived in, in Bremerton. We lived in Silverdale. We lived in Linwood. We lived in Seattle. And we lived up in the Port Angeles. And when I came, I n- never would have thought I'd live in Tacoma. But you know what? It was the best place ever to raise children and, mm. uh, you know, to to call my myself or call home. Mm. That's wonderful, Dennis. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to say as we wrap things up? That was a lovely way to close out, but I want to give you the chance. If there's anything else you want to make sure you say. Nope. I'll close with that. Aww. Well, thanks for coming on, All Mr. Right. Hamburg. Thank you. Want to learn more about life in Tacoma? Visit MoveToTacoma.com. Dennis, I'm not Barbara Walters. If you say anything that scandalizes yourself you... and you need to undo it, you just let Doug know and he'll clip it out. Like, oh, okay. Whatever. This is... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nobody you... ever does that. So, I mean, you'd be a sissy if you did that. But it is a, it's an opportunity. <laughs> what do you mean? You I thought you told me that the last person wanted the whole thing scratched out. That was... <laughs> MoveToTacoma.com Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.